You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, perhaps we have the notion of sloth all wrong. You know, we generally equate sloth with laziness. And I think this is a dangerous misread. Sloth and laziness is not the same thing. In fact, to tell you the truth, I'm in favor of and personally committed to episodic intense periods of laziness. In this all-in, all-on, 24-7 world of constant activity, laziness is not a bad thing. Now, I realize that couch potato has a bad connotation. But being a slacker in moderation is perhaps a healthy balance to the spirit of the crazy, hard-working, driven believer in all of us. Well, I I suggest a different notion of sloth. Sloth is a spirit of disengagement. The disengage, now, now, the disengagement may appear as laziness at times, but it's rooted in something much more insidious and damaging to our souls. Sloth is a life adrift, infected by a toxic spirit of resignation. Death by indifference. Sloth isn't mere weariness. We all get weary at times and for good reasons. But sloth is the inertia that develops from the spirit of giving up, giving in, conceding, no longer caring. Sloth develops when we persistently turn our backs on the destiny, on our purpose, on our identity. Sloth is the spirit that emerges when we settle for something less than what we're intended to be. We disengage from the life that we're called to. Well, today we're going to consider the case study of Gideon in the Old Testament book of Judges. And we enter into the story at a particular time in Israel's journey as a people. In the arc of Israel's history, this is a sort of in-between times, kind of like that that in-between time when you've moved into a new place, but all your stuff is still in boxes. The Israelis have, the Israelites have entered into the land that God had promised them, but they've not fully established themselves in it. And in the words of Charles Dickens, it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. On one hand, the covenant promises that God had made up to this point had been fulfilled. They had been rescued from Egypt, had journeyed in and through the the wilderness for a generation, and had, at this point, crossed over into that land that was promised to them. You can almost imagine a large mission-accomplished banner hanging over the Hebrew communities throughout the region. The promised land lay under their feet. And it only remained for Israel to fully occupy it, to displace the Canaanites, and to cleanse it of its paganism. The time had come for Israel to become the kingdom of God in a concrete place, in the form of an established commonwealth on earth. That was their mission, to become God's people, established in God's promised place, living under his kingship for the good of the whole world. But in a relatively short period of time, they turned their back on that mission. Israel quickly forgot the acts of God that had delivered them into that place. They lost sight of their unique identity as God's 
people chosen and called to be the signs and agents of his prospective kingdom on earth. The people attached themselves to the ways of their neighbors, their morals, their religious beliefs and practices. They assimilated themselves into Canaanite cultural and economic life. They blended in. They settled down. They disengaged. They forfeited their peculiar identity. They surrendered their distinctiveness. They relinquished their God-given mission. If there ever was a picture of sloth on a national scale, this was it. Enter Gideon, stage left. In Judges chapter 6, we're introduced to the person of Gideon. Now, Gideon is a heroic figure in Israel's history, claimed as one of the greatest judges of all times in that era. He stepped up at just the right time in the midst of Israel's ultimate vulnerability and was used of God to save Israel, not only from domination, but perhaps from total obliteration. But that's not how the story begins. He didn't start out as a heroic figure, the greatest of Israel's mighty warriors. In fact, we pick up the story, as we pick up the story here in chapter 6, he's a cowering farmer going about his daily business under the thumb of his oppressors. He's going with the flow, as you might say. He's keeping his head down. And so we, as we open to chapter 6 in the book of Judges, it's, it's on page 194 if you'd like to follow along with it in your pew Bible. As we open to chapter 6, we discover that the people of Israel are under intense distress. The chapter chapter opens with a word of God's judgment. Check out verse 1. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Well, it just turns out that the hand of Midian was unbelievably heavy. So oppressive was it that the whole promised land project was in peril. Unless something dramatic happened, Israel was not going to survive the occupation of the Midianites. And so we pick up the story of Gideon in verse 11 down here. And as we get there, let's just pause to pray before we enter into this scripture. Let's pause and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your word. And we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would lead us into this word that you would teach us what you have for us in it and then fill us up to be sent into your world as your people. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we pick it up here in verse 11. Let me read it for you. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. As his son Gideon was, was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Gideon answered him, But sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. And Gideon responded, But sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, 
and I am the least in my family. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites, every one of them. Well, let's pause here just to see what's going on. You see, the passage begins with the appearance of a strange visitor. The text tells us that it is the, an angel of the Lord, but that's not immediately apparent to Gideon. Gideon's engaged in manual labor, threshing wheat in a wine press, which is a fairly strange thing to do, but the text tells us that, that he's doing this covertly in order to avoid detection of the Midianites. So the first words the angel has for this farm laborer working in the sheer terror of being discovered by his oppressors is, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Do you hear the dissonance in that statement? It's clear that Gideon comprehends the sheer irony of such a greeting, and he responds with the prevailing narrative of the day. He says, God is clearly not with me. Look at the misery of our situation. Where is God when we need him? We're abandoned. We're rejected. We're doomed. Now, this is the standard case statement for sloth-producing disengagement and hopelessness. He's given in. He's accommodated himself to the circumstances defined by his oppressors. He's accepted the terms of his situation. He's given up. He's thrown in the towel. He lives in indifference to the bigger, truer narrative that Yahweh is the living God and is king of Israel. And he's chosen the people of Israel to be signs and agents of his coming kingdom. Gideon's resigned himself to the circumstances that he finds himself in. He's resigned himself to the rule of the Midianites rather than to the reality of God's rule and his invitation to mission. He's living the slow death of sloth, a very deadly sin. Well, moving on to this, into the rest of this passage, I'm not going to read it, but I'll, I'll give you a flyby, an overview. The angel flat out ignores this lament, and he commissions Gideon to his new role, savior of his people. And the passage that continues from the one that we just read, Gideon continues his disbelief. But as the conversation continues, he, des- he decides to test the stranger's apparent sincerity and persistence. If he's going to buy in, then he wants to verify its legitimacy. Trust, but verify. He engages the visitor with a gift, a religious ritual offering, and the stranger demonstrates the angel of the Lord powers that he has, and it's as if Gideon finally awakens from a very bad dream. He discovers the possibility that God is really in actuality with him. And this has the dual effect of opening his life again to the reality of God as king and to the implications and responsibility of his identity as one who is chosen of God to enter into mission. But Gideon's encounter ends here with a special request. Yahweh calls Gideon to worship. And this is the turning point in Gideon's life. So we'll pick up the text here starting at verse 25. Let me read it. That night, 
the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull, the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father, and cut down the sacred Asherah pole that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here in proper order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the sacred pole that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the townspeople to do it by day, he did it by night. Well, Gideon is instructed to prepare a special offering. But first, he must confront the evil of his and his family's idolatry. He must tear down all the paraphernalia of the local religion that had seduced and captured the life of his family. They had totally assimilated themselves, giving up worship of Yahweh for the comfort and convenience and the social acceptability of bowing before the Canaanite gods. And Gideon's awakening from sloth could only be achieved by establishing a new center for his life. A new altar was built, an altar dedicated to the worship of the only true God. And Gideon made an offering of worship that in effect reoriented his life and set it on a new course of relationship with the living God. It was this fundamentally reorienting act of worship that launched him into his heroic journey. Now you're going to have to read the rest of the story for yourself. I'm not going to ruin it for you. I'll only say that you're really going to enjoy it. It's the story of Gideon's emergence out of the death of sloth into the adventure of mission with God. Well, what are the implications for us from the story? What conclusions do we come to? What convictions emerge? And I'm sure there are many, but I'll just offer two. And the first is that sloth is real. And it is actively doing its deadly work among us. And second, the antidote to sloth is worship that leads to mission. Well, first let's take a look at sloth is real. Despite the fact that we don't pay much attention to the notion of sloth in our society, I think the Desert Fathers had it right when they listed it as one of the seven deadly sins. Apathy and indifference have their way everywhere. We are vulnerable to sloth as it seeps into various corners of our lives, into our relationships, into our, our vocational life of, of school and workplace, even into our faith, our spirituality. I know a young man who has been gripped by the spirit of sloth. This guy is incredibly gifted, incredibly intelligent, off the charts bright personable, charming, attractive, has everything going for him. He was given a full-ride scholarship to attend one of the Ivies. He's always been interested in pursuing a career in medicine since he was just a small child, since he was just a kid. And he went off to school, and early on, he got heavily into the party scene. He got drunk and high habitually. He became enthralled with Western philosophy, and his exceptional intelligence made, him, intelligence made him really good at critiquing the world, at taking it apart, 
tearing it down, unmasking, debunking. And in the process, he became deeply cynical. He was playing a club sport and in the process seriously injured his back and he began abusing pain medication. And these internal and external dynamics of his life conspired to completely derail him. And along the way, he lost his original vision to pursue medicine and his deep-seated cynicism prevented him from replacing it with any other sense of purpose, with any other sense of direction for his life. And he has slowly drifted into indifference, which has led to a tragic disengagement. He's dead in the water. And at this point, he's dropped out of school, squandering that extraordinary gift and opportunity, and he now struggles to make it day to day. His life is gripped by the soul-sapping reality of sloth. And we pray for a Gideon-type awakening, That God will send him a stranger who will greet him with a new name and will call him to rediscover who he is and what he's here for. Because he is stuck. And we all get stuck at various times in our life. Just like my friend, there are external factors that weigh upon us. There is internal baggage that we carry that weigh us down and become so heavy that it stops us in our tracks. We live in bad and broken relationships with spouses and family members and colleagues and and roommates. And, you know, they just don't seem to get better. We face unyielding resistance in our pursuit of baseline aspirations to pass a class, to, to get a job, to make rent, to get married, to have a baby. We live, we live in the woundedness that we carry from past hurts and offenses that shape our stance our fundamental stance towards the world that make us fearful. Some of us face challenging physical situations, chronic illnesses and disabilities that create significant burdens. Sometimes we just find life exhausting and overwhelming and we live in a constant state of weariness and discouragement. All of these dynamics conspire against us and persuade us to settle, to accommodate, to give up, to give in, to be resigned to our fate. Sloth seeps in. And we forget the bigger, truer narrative that the Lord of love defines our identity and gives shape to the contours of our purpose. And instead, we we settle for the smaller narrative that highlights our weaknesses, our challenges, our circumstances. Our disadvantages. We forget who we are. We become disengaged. Apathy displaces hope. Our souls begin to shrivel. Death by indifference. And I pray for a Gideon type awakening for all of us. For God has sent us a strange visitor who greets us with a new name. And invites us into participating with him in his mission in the world. We have received, we have received an invitation into the heart and life of God. And he sends among us the way to himself. The person of Jesus. And the journey of faith is essentially an offer to become his apprentice on the way. And it begins with worship. Just like Gideon. For us, it begins with worship. 
the daily renewal of reorienting to the essential center, to the living God. Worship is the process of daily stripping ourselves of our idols and even the most hidden ones and choosing the Lord as the center, as the defining relationship of our life. That is what Gideon experienced when he tore down the altar of Baal, when he cut down the Asherah pole and replaced it and built the altar for worship of Yahweh. That was the act of worship that reoriented and reordered his life and put him in a place to follow God into the mission to which he was uniquely called. And the antidote of sloth begins in worship but is fulfilled in mission. And one of the fundamental propositions of Christian faith is that we have been made in the image of God. And the defining attribute of that likeness is that we have been given dominion. We are made to have dominion within a particular sphere of reality. Every last one of us has a kingdom, a realm that is uniquely our own, where our choice determines what happens. This is the essence of sharing in the image of God and is the basis of the destiny to which we've been formed. That dominion, that gift and responsibility of creative will is the very thing that gets damaged by the spirit of sloth. And the true adventure of the Christian life is that we are continually being transformed by the renewing of our minds through Jesus Christ in the work of the Holy Spirit so that we would exercise our creative will in collaboration with God's creative will in the world. God invites us to be co-conspirators with him in his creative healing work. That's amazing good news. That his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We get to participate in that. That right there is some serious sloth-busting stuff. And the obviously well-kept secret of our ordinary life is that it is made to be a receptacle for the divine, a place where the life of God flows. We were made to matter. We are placed in a specific context to count in ways that no one else does. That is our unique destiny. That defines our unique identity. Gideon got that, eventually. He was awakened from his sloth-dominated life, reoriented to the living God in and through worship, and then set loose in God's mission of kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're invited into that same adventure. So where is Jesus calling you today? Let's pray. Holy God, thank you for the gift. The gift of dominion, this creative will that you call us to conspire in with your creative will. That your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, may we participate with you in such a way that your kingdom would come, that heaven would penetrate our earthly existence. Then we might enter in and live with you in mission. God, thank you for the gift of this worship that leads us from this place in co-conspiring with you in the world. 
Christ's name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.